Welcome to Interchange. I'm Doug Storm. Our show today is sex politics. What is the feminist current? We'll open with David Bowie's Rebel Rebel off of 1974's Diamond Dogs. My guest today via Skype is Megan Murphy, founder and editor of the website The Feminist Current, who's been writing about feminism since 2010. She's known for going against the grain and was first to publish a critique of Slut Walk back in 2011 and was one of the only popular feminist bloggers to publicly articulate both a radical feminist and socialist position against the sex industry. Megan's critiques of third-wave feminism, Twitter feminism, burlesque, self-objectification in selfies, gender identity politics, and choice feminism have brought acclaim and attacks. That bifurcation will likely continue here today. Murphy joined us in December of 2016 for a show primarily about the individualism of third-wave feminism and how useful that has been to the sex industry. Tonight we'll turn to gender, which has displaced biology as an inherent characteristic in narratives of identity and oppression. It's not as simple as who you want to be. This is politics. Let's open this program with Murphy speaking in front of the Canadian Senate in opposition to Bill C-16, an act to amend the Canadian Human Rights Act and the Criminal Code. That bill added gender expression and gender identity as protected grounds to the Canadian Human Rights Act and also to the Criminal Code provisions dealing with hate propaganda, incitement to genocide, and aggravating factors in sentencing. It became the law in Canada on June 19, 2017. Here's Megan Murphy. No one is born with a gender. We are born male or female, and gender is then imposed on us through socialization. Women do not know they are women because they are born interested in high heels or the color pink. They know they are women because they are female. Treating gender as though it is either internal or a personal choice is dangerous and completely misunderstands how and why women are oppressed under patriarchy as a class of people. Patriarchy was invented in order to control women's reproductive capacity, and gender was created in order to naturalize and reinforce that hierarchical system. Women and girls around the world are killed, prostituted, raped, and abused every single day, not because they wear dresses, have long hair, or behave passively, but because they are female. And under patriarchy, females are said to be less than. Things that exist for male use, to be owned, bought, sold, and looked at. The way men feel on the inside does not change that they hold power and privilege in this society, and the way women feel on the inside doesn't change their experience of sexism. Let's get current on the politics of sex with Megan Murphy on Interchange on WFHB. Welcome to Interchange. Welcome back to Interchange, Megan Murphy. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Our pleasure here, Megan. Um, So we started with your 
Um, you're speaking there in front of the Canadian uh, Senate, uh, Can- the Senate of Canada, Canada's Senate. I'm stumbling all over that, I know, but uh, <laughs> on on gender, and um, that was in specific response to a uh, a bill that was proposed and that eventually came became law. Correct. It's not passed officially yet. Mm, okay. uh, it's very close, and it will pass. You yes, you expect it to pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, so your your interest in terms of gender there uh, is uh, a part of trying to understand how it is that gender in law creates um, what kind of difficulties for uh, understanding. I guess, the standing of a human, right? To the standing of a woman, the standing of a man, the standing of a trans woman or trans man, how law creates individuals. I mean, one of my primary issues with uh, this kind of gender identity legislation is that, and, you know, and the conversations around gender identity legislation and the conversation around gender identity in general, is that it conflates the term sex and gender. Mm-hmm. And yeah, totally misunderstands what gender is, and particularly how gender functions under patriarchy. So gender and sex are not the same thing. Sex refers to anatomy, biology, um, our roles as humans in reproduction. And gender refers to the stereotypes and social roles applied to and imposed on males and females. Um, and under patriarchy, what that means is masculinity and femininity, um, which exist uh, in a kind of hierarchy. Mm-hmm. So males are socialized into the dominant role and females are socialized into the subordinate role. And then beyond that, all these other stereotypes are applied. Uh, Males, for example, are assumed to be inherently dominant and aggressive and unemotional and rational. And females are presumed to be inherently nurturing and passive and emotional and subordinate. And, Of course, none of these things are true. You know, these things are not inherent in us. We all have our own personalities. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, at the same time, we're we're taught and pressured to conform to these roles. Again, under patriarchy, you Mm -hmm. know, gender could mean something different in a different context or culture or time. But what we're talking about now is a patriarchal uh, culture. So... Yeah, these yeah, roles um, normalize sexism. What do you um, what do you think then? Laws like this get wrong. How is gender uh, and gender gender identification, uh, gender expression being written into uh, hate crimes and hate speech law? Um, how how are these things getting that wrong? Why is it why is it a bad thing or why is it problematic to have these kinds of representations in law? Well, I mean, we're we're creating legislation around a term that is totally vague. Mm-hmm. Um, even those who are creating the legislation and pushing for the legislation can't really explain what gender identity or gender exp- expression means in a coherent way. Mm. 
you know, from my perspective and from a feminist perspective, there's no such thing as gender identity because gender identity isn't about our personal feelings or our personal choices. It's about social roles and about socialization um, and about, you know, more broadly normalizing and naturalizing patriarchy and sexist ideas about men and women. Mm-hmm. So it's not clear what it is that these laws are even meant to defend. What 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 we could be doing with sort of similar laws if we want to defend, um, you know, I, I guess you could say gender presentation, even though I don't necessarily think that's a perfect way to describe it either. But what we could and should defend is people's rights not to conform to gender stereotypes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously it should be okay for men to wear women's clothing and for women to wear men's clothing and for men to wear makeup if they want to or mm-hmm. long hair and and moreover to um to push back against masculinity and those kinds of harmful stereotypes. Um but to frame that as it being about something innate within us, you know, as though we can be inherently feminine or masculine and that our feelings about gender literally change our sex is nonsensical, really. Mm. Well, um, I guess further the question might be, too, if we're living, not if, obviously, we're in a patriarchy, we're in a male supremacist society, if there is... um, uh, a, a a public or a, a legislative will interested in this gender um, gendering uh, identity and creating uh, protectionist laws. What is the end game of that goal? I mean, where what what is the patriarchy's stance on that? How is it that this is so um, become so uh, important important in this period? Um, I think that, I mean, I think that the idea of gender identity itself reinforces what patriarchy is already telling us, which is, again, that these kinds of roles are inherent and so that we can't change them, you know, which plays into ideas about um, women being in the home, you know, in, you know, a century or two ago, it was said that women were too delicate to participate in um, the public sphere and that they had to be in the home in order to take care of kids and do domestic work or whatever. So it was really harmful in terms of women's rights because, of course, it naturalized the idea of women not being in politics and mm-hmm. not being able to vote and whatnot. So so if I'm understanding this, then in some sense, then having more focus on gender actually solidifies the you know the gender distinctions you made earlier between masculine and feminine you it's an attempt to go back and solidify those particular roles no matter what sex employs them yeah definitely because i think that i mean i don't i don't really think we should be talking about gender at all mm-hmm. unless we're talking about those sexist stereotypes because it obviously really confuses people mm-hmm. you know i've been to um you know, medical offices where when you fill out the form, it asks for your gender, not your sex. Mm -hmm. 
And people think it's the same thing, and it's not the same thing. And gender, gender isn't a good thing. You know, mm. we shouldn't, I don't think that, I think we should be getting rid of the, the idea of gender entirely mm-hmm. as a, you know, supposedly feminist or progressive society. I mean, women have sex-based rights because we know that women are discriminated against on account of being female, for example, in the workplace, because there's been this kind of historic assumption that women are going to get pregnant, um, that there's a breadwinner in their family, i.e. their husband, so they don't need to be paid as much, they don't need full-time work, they're not going to stick around, so they don't need to be promoted and supported in the workplace. Um, There's all sorts of other examples, that's just one, of course. Um, So it is important that we recognize sex. And of course, it's important that we recognize sex difference in terms of things like healthcare. Um, But to recognize people's feelings about gender from a legislative perspective is a bit confused and and misguided. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a hard thing to, I guess, to have conversations of. Uh, generally, um, we tend to have conversations in where we say, um, I mean, I, I, I won't have a confusion about the idea that people should express themselves how they want to and not be penalized for it, right? To not have the, as you say, these uh, gender stereotypes create the, the difficulties that we, we confront in society. But the question you keep coming to, and I think that the feminists that I read as well come to, is that what what is the difference here, what's happening now between a women's movement and a trans movement or a gender-oriented movement? You know, these, these distinctions have become quite fraught and quite um, aggressively violent in many ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, women are women in particular are who ask questions about gender identity, who want to challenge the idea of gender identity, who are concerned about this kind of legislation, are you know being no platform, they're being fired. I certainly know more than one woman who's lost her job. In the UK, um, mm-hmm. women have been expelled from the Labour Party, for example. Here in Canada, the uh, Labour movement and our leftist party, the NDP, has definitely taken a position in favour of the idea of gender identity and gender legislation. And many members of the movement and of the party have... Um, been working really hard to vilify and smear and silence women who speak out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a real feeling of fear. Like, I'm quite certain that if I was a a member of the NDP or I was a part of the labor movement here in Canada, I would feel terrified to say anything and certain that I would be ostracized and probably kicked out of the party. And beyond that, you know, I mean, I've gotten countless violent threats more so around this issue than any other issue I've I've written about or spoken mm-hmm. about. Um, yeah, death threats, violent threats, mm-hmm. I should be killed, um, and so on and so forth. Yeah, let's let's um, get back into those um, after the break, if you don't mind. We'll we'll sort mm-hmm. of focus on those particular issues. We're going to take a break right now. Uh, this is personality crisis. 
by the New York Dolls from 1973 off their self-titled album. This is Doug Storm on Interchange. My guest via Skype is Megan Murphy, founder and editor of the website The Feminist Current. Uh, We've dipped a toe into the gender pool, and when we come back, we'll swim in the ubiquitous world of uh, pornography as well as discuss some more of the gender difficulties and and terms such as, as turf. Stay with us on Interchange. Welcome back to Interchange. This is Doug Storm. We're talking to Megan Murphy via Skype, founder and editor of the radical feminist website, The Feminist Current. Before the break, we talked about gender and identity and what these concepts mean as, uh, I guess, political instructions in some ways. Uh, And let's stick with that before we move on to pornography. Uh, Megan, the issue is often, uh, if you say anything uh, generally against a trans uh, legislation or question the idea of gender identity, you're labeled a turf. Is that correct? Yeah. And, you know, 
it's not even if you say anything against these things certainly if you if you challenge these things you will be labeled in that way but actually just today there was a story in the morning star in the uk about a um trade union official paula lamont who was harassed and threatened off of the picket line because she attended a meeting. They've been holding meetings in the UK. Um, feminist activists have been organizing meetings to talk about their gender identity legislation that's being proposed over there. So she just, they found out that she had just attended the meeting. She hadn't even said anything publicly. And um, yeah, she was harassed and threatened. But um, yeah, it's anyone who asks questions in general, um, particularly women, is labeled a turf, which is considered to be um, evil, bigot, uh, transphobe, and applying that word to a woman often justifies violence against her. And people on the left have totally defended that that mm. idea that it's okay to be violent against so-called TERFs, i.e. women who, who question gender identity and gender identity legislation, mm -hmm. um, because, you know, we aren't towing the line. Well, there, uh, you actually had written a piece on TERF and proposed that it itself is a, a hate speech term. Yeah, because it's used to incite violence. So, uh, you know, it's definitely a smear, um, but... What I experienced online and what I've seen other women experience online convinced me that it fully um, fit the definition of hate speech um, because it's used to attack a particular group of people, a marginalized group of people, i.e. it's specifically used against um, women. The term itself means trans-exclusionary radical feminist, and mm -hmm. of course um, radical feminist implies female. So um, it's used to attack women, uh, women who speak out, and then it's used to defend and incite violence. And there have been incidences of violence. Again, in the UK, um, some women met to try to have a conversation about these issues. That's all they were trying to do. It was hard enough for them to even find a venue. It's, mm. it's continually hard to find a venue just to have a conversation about these things because trans activists will hound and harass and threaten the venue. So they keep getting canceled. Mm. But uh, some women met up to go to their meeting um, because they couldn't announce publicly where the meeting was being held out of fear. And a 60-year-old woman was punched by one of the trans activists mm. because she was a so-called turf, and this action was defended again by a lot of people online. Mm. So the the idea here, I think, or the question here, uh, does center on uh, the ability to say what you want, the ability to um, speak about these issues, critique these issues, and it seems as li as if, uh, I guess. Uh, trans activists in particular are making it difficult for women to say there are issues here that are political issues that uh, affect women and that if you know that we should be able to speak about those things in public spaces without fear or threat. The issue further comes from generally, I guess, a male culture. Right. Uh, a masculine, uh, or should I say masculine? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, so that, you know, aggression against women comes from men or trans uh, women. 
Right. Um, and because these males often will identify as trans women, um, it doesn't supposedly count as male violence. So mm-hmm. that's the other interesting and uh, troubling angle about these conversations is that there's you know, a real potential to lose the ability to talk about male violence against women Mm -hmm. as something that's systemic and something that happens under patriarchy to reinforce male dominance. Um, But if male isn't a real thing and your maleness depends only on your personal feelings or your outfits, I mean, how do we even quantify male violence how do we talk about it you know there's news stories coming out today that report on a woman raping somebody and if you read far enough down you'll find out that this person is actually male but identifies as transgender Hmm. and so similarly with this woman who was punched in the uk she was punched by a male person but a person who identified as as a trans woman, I guess. So supposedly that person is is vulnerable and therefore it's defensible for them to use violence against women. You know, it's a pretty strange and scary concept and kind of discourse that's happening around this. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it struck me generally too as, you know, um, a confusion for me, a confusion within, uh, I guess, um, what I might call, I suppose, uh, mainstream understanding of these things. Like once you start talking about who goes to what bathroom, and once you start talking about how um, particular ways that men or women dress become both uh, objects of um, – praise or or scorn, depending on the community you're in. And when you start to find, um, I guess, people on both sides of the political aisle having um, to being pro-trans or uh, um, anti-trans, depending on how you phrase these things in terms of your political agenda also. So all these things are kind of happening in in a way that it's, I think it's literally... um, confusing for most people that aren't quite sure what's happening what's kind of, what's happening in terms of the politics what's happening in terms of the law why why is there such um such i guess uh exposure to this particular issue you know we had a little bit of that conversation earlier but it just strikes me as one in which i i don't quite follow you know what where the exposure is coming from and and earlier today we you and i had talked via email about um you know finding trans issues with children in particular, you know, a kind of issue that uh, obviously a focus on the family or a federalist or a right wing or conservative organization would also agree with. There's no, you shouldn't be doing those kinds of things. So, you know, we're finding, um, again, uh, I guess, odd bedfellows in this situation as well. Yeah. And it's frustrating because um, the mainstream media and the liberal media will usually frame this as a left versus right issue. So in Canada, you'll, you won't even hear about the feminist analysis of gender identity and feminist critiques of transgenderism. You'll hear from right wing white men And then you'll hear from the so-called progressives who support the idea of gender identity. And so there's this entire 
analysis that's being left out. And I, I kind of think it's done on purpose because it's really easy to oversimplify that issue and then push this agenda as a progressive one, despite the fact that it's actually really regressive. Hmm. Well, it is, uh, it is, as you say, I think, difficult to follow if you're just paying attention to the mainstream media. And even if you're trying to follow any particular um, websites as well, they, uh, these things all take their own particular perspectives as well. If you go from the feminist current to uh, bitch media or anything that sort of straddles the uh, mainstream popular um, third wave or whatever wave feminism we're on in this period, you know, as opposed to radical feminism. Yeah, definitely. I mean, all of the so-called feminist media in the U.S. is in favor of of the idea of gender identity and transgender ideology and participates in that vilification of, of women who are pushing back. But, of course, you know, that's sort of in, you know, that goes along with the way that liberal feminism, which fully, you know, almost 100% dominates the conversation in the US. And that really feeds into the kinds of conversations that we have in Canada. Also, I mean, those websites have also taken these positions in favor of prostitution, which they call sex work, um, in favor of pornography, and have really participated in the kind of smearing of second wave and radical feminists and have, you know, dismissed that analysis, that radical feminist analysis, whether it's with regard to um, sex and sexuality, objectification, the sex trade, gender and gender identity, as somehow oppressive or bigoted or old-fashioned. They'll often use smears and slurs like turf or like Swerf, which are, you know, misleading and misrepresentative. Swerf means a uh, sex work exclusionary radical feminist, which is totally crazy because uh, there's lots of women who've been in prostitution who are part of the feminist movement and leading the fight to uh, end prostitution. Right, right. But, uh, you know, and yeah, ageist slurs as though it's only older women who are out of touch mm-hmm. and uh, the young, cool kids are all into porn and prostitution and gender fluidity and well you know megan the children will lead them i think that's what the bible says <laughs> anyway it's time for another break uh, this is peekaboo by Susie and the banshees off of the 1988 album peep show stay with us for more on interchange with radical feminist megan murphy when interchange returns on wfhb Support for WFHB comes from the Uptown Cafe, established in 1976, located at 102 East Kirkwood Avenue, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner, as well as wine, beer, spirits, and cocktails. 
More information is available online at the-uptowncafe.com. Support for WFHB also comes from The Limestone Post, an online culture and lifestyle magazine for Bloomington and beyond. You can explore articles, photo essays, and videos on the arts, outdoors, local history, community events, and all the topics that make Bloomington such a great place to live. Limestone Post. Writers with a voice, photographers with a vision. Online at limestonepost.com. You're listening to Interchange on WFHB, volunteer-powered community radio for South Central Indiana. Welcome back to Interchange. This is Doug Storm. My guest tonight via Skype is Megan Murphy, radical feminist, socialist, founder and editor of the website The Feminist Current. We've talked about uh, gender identity here, politics of gender identity, the um, uh, the distinctions, I suppose, between trying to understand what is male and what is female and what is masculine and what is uh, feminine as, uh, as real distinctions. But um, Megan, I think that uh, I, I think it was on your podcast recently about uh, transing kids uh, medically uh, with, I forget the woman's name, Heather. Brunskell Evans. Yeah, that, that, that podcast you guys talked about um, the, the flip of treating gender as an inherent quality um, uh, uh, to sort of say who you are, to identify how you do something about that being inherent versus biology no longer being the, the main thing that makes you man or woman, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, this thing about trans kids, I'm going to put that in quotations Mm -hmm, because I I don't believe Mm -hmm. there's such a thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) as trans kids, um, is really troubling because, you know, kids, kids should be able to do whatever they want to do. Not, (laughs) I don't literally mean do whatever they want to do, but in terms of what they're wearing or the toys they're playing with, um, you know, if a boy wants to wear a dress and have long hair and play with dolls, great. If a girl wants to play sports and have short hair, right. then great. Um, and to kind of impose these ideas on them as though that says something about their true sex or their inherent gender is really, um, I mean, like I said, really regressive <clears throat> and scary because once these kids start socially transitioning, you know, they start calling themselves he instead of she or vice versa, that leads them on a path to um, hormones and eventually surgery. And these hormones 
And this this future sur- surgery has the effect of sterilization. Of obviously, it has a huge effect on on these kids' bodies. And these are just kids or teenagers, and they're making these really huge decisions about their entire lives that that they they shouldn't be making, and that again are are based on what I consider to be a trend. You know, this is trendy right mm-hmm. now. Yeah, it's a point made also in that podcast, obviously, that uh, there is a massive uh, suggestibility to most of what uh, our children are doing. Most, well, generally all of us, I suppose, a massive suggestibility via our particular social media and media that that you and I aren't even probably aware of. Obviously, as a dinosaur, Facebook is as social as Mm -hmm. I get. Uh, The kids, children, uh, nine-year-olds, eight-year-olds, seven-year-olds have way many, you know, so many other ways to get uh, particular messages sent to them on a daily produce a produced message of um, uh, of things that you and I uh, would never have seen before in our lives, probably. Yeah. And I mean, this this idea of of transgenderism is such a big thing in in the media and um, with, you know, younger people in particular that it's like, it's, you know, like you'll get a lot of attention and you'll get a lot of support and you'll get a lot of validation. And, um, that's obviously enticing for kids and teenagers. And it's presented as being this really wonderful, brave thing that should be celebrated when you, um, supposedly come out as transgender or decide to live as your true gender. Um, so it's really, yeah, celebrated and validated and enforced that way. And it's not being challenged really at all, especially in public schools. I mean, and especially here in Canada, like I'm, I'm quite certain that if a teacher in a public school challenged um, this idea of transgenderism and gender identity, he or she would be fired. And I know teachers who work in the public school system here in Canada who have been reprimanded for, um, you know, liking certain comments online <laughs> or mm-hmm, just posting mm-hmm. comments that are, uh, you know, I, I, are really non-offensive, but posting comments about, um, you know, questioning the idea that a trans woman is literally female. Um, And like I said, you know, I know people who worked in universities who lost work um, and people have been fired for asking these questions. Mm -hmm. So you can't ask the questions, you can't have the conversations and it's being celebrated and, and really encouraged in a lot of different ways through peer groups, through media, via the teachers and the school systems via um, uh, leftist political parties and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's just hard, hard, hard to get your mind around the, the, the attempt to shut down the conversation. Not so much the act itself, not so much the, the idea of gender, not so much the idea that you want to be a he or a she or say what you want to say, call yourself what you want to call yourself, wear what you want to wear. These aren't confusing ideas. These are, these are ways in which the human plays with being human. This is not a problem in terms mm-hmm. of you know, how we look at ourselves. Our social organization does generally have problems with these things, and we can apply people for for pushing back against
against stereotypical ideas of what it means to be a human in society. Uh, the questions go deeper than this, of course, and when, as you say, in particular when it comes to children, things get really, really uh, problematic because children are not capable of understanding this particular process that they're going to go through and that their body is going to make uh, uh, regardless of their their interests in being a boy or a girl. Yeah, totally. And I mean, it's it's funneling kids into a lifetime of dependence on big pharma and Mm. these these hormonal treatments. Mm -hmm, mm And lifelong surgeries, like these surgeries are harsh, like they're intense and they're ongoing. This is, these are not minor surgeries. Mm-hmm. Well, again, in that podcast, uh, and I guess uh, I'm having a podcast on a podcast in some ways right now, but the, <laughs> the, the podcast was pretty interesting. The idea that, you know, generally uh, parents are, are um, one, uh, either staunchly for this or afraid to be against it. Right. Yeah. I think that a lot of parents, I think that a lot of parents, of course, mean well and want to do the best thing for their kid and want to be supportive. And parents have been told that what you should do if your child expresses a different gender identity or um, something like that is that they should support that child and validate them. And if they don't do that, that's really dangerous and harmful and will lead to things like suicide and depression. And, um, and then, as you say, there's also the parent who is afraid to ask questions and afraid to say something and isn't sure even how to have these conversations because they see what happens to other people who Mm -hmm. try to have these Mm -hmm. conversations. And because I think the conversation gets really confusing for a lot of people. So they don't know what to say about it. You know, people who are accustomed to seeing themselves as good liberals or, you know, good progressive people have been told that the position that a progressive or liberal person should take is in favor of gender identity and not asking any questions and only just validating, validating, validating. And they see people that they perhaps respect as as progressives or leftists, mm-hmm. you know, speaking in support of these issues. And so they think, well, I guess this is what I should do too. Mm-hmm. And as far as I can tell, it's only those right-wing baddies who are opposing this. Um, And so there's the issue of being afraid to ask questions and having conversations has a big impact on Mm -hmm. this. But also, as I said, the way that the mainstream and liberal media has framed this as a left versus right issue and you can only either be a bigot or you can support transgenderism. And those are the only two options. Well, these are freedom questions, right? right? As everything gets labeled, right? Individualistic freedom questions at some point, right? Uh, What does it mean to be liberal? It means to be free to do what you want to do. And this is is generally how we understand these things. Uh, And uh, you can see it as a consequence of of a change or a, a, I guess a backlash from against second wave fem- feminism against women generally in in culture and politics uh, to to push back into women as sex objects, women uh, objectified, uh, mm-hmm. and this being a part and parcel of of really a, a, a long game since the seventies. 
Yeah, totally. And so that idea that what it means to be a woman is attached to these external things, to superficial things, to being sexy, to looking pretty, to wearing makeup, to having long hair, to having breast implants, to wearing high heels and dresses and lingerie, those things also totally play into this this transgender trend, right? Because what we're told is that if a man is is choosing all these things and likes all these things, mm-hmm. then he might really be a woman because right. that's what it means to be a woman. <laughs> right. You're apparently. a woman. If you wear high heels and you like make uh, makeup, um, you're a woman. Yeah, and I mean, I hate wearing high heels and well, then you're a man, comfortable Megan. clothes. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. and we figured that <laughs> I've out. Been confused this yeah. whole time. <laughs> I think I am always confused, and these things. Uh, uh, that's I think again, it seems to me a, an actual um, a feature of this particular conversation is the confusion. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. Um, it is it is confusing and complicated yeah, yeah yeah well let's go to a break and when we come back we'll we'll shift into everyone's favorite conversation pornography uh this is man by nico case off her 2013 album the worse things get the harder i fight the harder i fight the more i love you when interchange returns we'll talk about the feminist critique of systems of domination and oppression things that i don't think get done in a lot of these other particular situations stay with us for interchange Support for WFHB comes from the Uptown Cafe, established in 1976, located at 102 East Kirkwood Avenue, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner, as well as wine, beer, spirits, and cocktails. More information is available online at the-uptowncafe.com. Currently snowing throughout south-central Indiana with a hazardous weather warning going on from tonight through tomorrow morning. You're listening to Interchange on WFHB. Stay tuned when we come back after this break.
Welcome back to Interchange on WFHB for our final segment on sex politics with Feminist Currents' Megan Murphy. We're going to talk a little bit about critique, feminist critique, often uh, labeled as hate speech, but also uh, a little bit about pornography. It's a, a short time to talk about these things, but I wanted to point to something, Megan, I think you said throughout. There's no structural uh, critique in, in some ways. It seems to me that the, the idea of critiquing society, critiquing male pr- uh, supremacy, uh, the patriarchy seems to not be uh, in evidence in a lot of these discussions. I'm going to quote quickly from Robert Jensen, uh, journalism professor at the University of Texas, Austin, author of End of Patriarchy, Radical Feminism for Men, uh, who said that uh, uh, the transgender movement as a whole doesn't embrace a feminist critique of institutionalized male dominance. He says, but the trans movement has proposed public policies from opening uh, sex gender specific bathrooms and locker rooms to anyone who identifies with that sex gender to public funding for surgery and hormone treatments, that these things are uh, liberal, individualist, medicalized responses to the problem of patriarchy's rigid, repressive and reactionary gender norms, while radical feminism is a radical, structural, politicized response. These responses to patriarchy are vastly different then. Right. Can I you? Mean, uh, yeah, I'm sorry to ask you to answer for Robert Jensen, but it's, <laughs> it, seemed, it seemed like that was a pretty good way to say it, that these are responses perhaps to the actual social problems that we face in patriarchy. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, he's exactly right. Um, and I think it's, it's about a misguided response to these these gender norms and gender stereotypes and it's also like a deep misunderstanding of how patriarchy works and how male dominance works and it's it it goes along with this trend of individualizing oppression um Mm -hmm. and making oppression about personal choice that like neoliberal concept that says you know like if we just choose if we make different choices in our lives, then we can change the circumstances of our oppression. Mm -hmm. But, you know, moreover, I mean, patriarchy exists because, um, patriarchy exists in order to control the means of reproduction. So it exists in order to control women's reproductive capacity, which is directly linked, of course, to our biology. And I think that, what the transgender movement doesn't understand is, and I I don't even think it really cares about this, to be perfectly honest, is that patriarchy, A, is, is systemic, and it's not about personal choices, and you can't just choose to opt out of patriarchy or out of this, this gender system. Of course, you can push back, but it's imposed on you whether you like it or not, and regardless of how you feel about it, but it also misunderstands the way that patriarchy is connected to biology and who is capable of getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I do want, uh, I know we're running short on time and it's a big subject to talk about, uh, but um, in terms of patriarchy, in terms of how we see women, in terms of uh, cultural views of women, in terms of entertainment, in terms of, uh, you know, scantily clad uh, twerking and and dancing at the Grammys and anything else you want to talk about in terms of how we view the objectified female, um, you know, this is, to me, it seems to have only gotten worse what if apparently it's it's empower, empowering to be an objectified female these days 
Yeah, I mean, I, I see that as well, for sure. And it does seem as though it's gotten worse. Um, objectification has become so normalized and porn culture has become so normalized to the point that um, third wave feminism or liberal feminism, whatever you want to call it, we sometimes use those terms interchangeably, mm-hmm. um, has taken on objectification and pornography as a potentially liberating and empowering thing for women. So young women and, and women my age, um, uh, I, I don't know if I would be considered young anymore, but (laughs) 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 it's, I feel young. Um, but, uh, women my age as well as of course, you know, teen girls and girls in their, their twenties, um, are are growing up in a culture that tells them that if they watch porn and perform sex and sexuality in these pornographic ways, then that's something that's liberating and empowering for them. And because they're making that choice, it's not being forced on them, it's not oppressive, and it doesn't constitute objectification. And meanwhile, all they're doing is buying into and reinforcing these really male-centered ideas about sex and sexuality and that are really centered around performance um, and performing for the male gaze. And women aren't even given the opportunity to learn about their own sexualities or what they like and what they really want because these message are, messages are just, you know, pounded into us and we, we internalize them. Yeah, it's it's a hard thing to to talk about generally. Uh, it's not. Uh, it, I think when I have this conversation, uh, it is an age question for me sometimes as I am uh, nearing the mid-century mark myself. So I have grown up in a period where uh, pornography as an available thing was not so available uh, or available in very small doses or available in ways that you had to be uh, furtive about it, perhaps if you were interested in it or you'd find mm-hmm. it somewhere else or you knew somebody that knew somebody, et cetera, et cetera. This is a good Wonder Years episode on, <laughs> on this particular thing. But uh, this is not the case any longer, right? Pornography is ubiquitous. It's, you know, you can go into your uh, Google and just put any term in and you're going to get something pornographic back that is easy. I mean, you just have it there in front of you, in front of you all the time. These things to me are shocking in, in themselves. Is this a, a progressive liberal idea of what it means to, um, to care about sex, to, to, to care about people, to be human? This is what humanity is now. Yeah, I mean it's unavoidable now. I'm I'm 38, so um, I you felt like you didn't... had to do that because I said I was nearly 50. No, I said oh, okay. right. <laughs> okay. I wanted to, people to be able to decide whether or not they considered me young or not. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, <laughs> like, okay. People call me a young feminist all the time, and I don't know if that's true. Mm, okay. I don't, 38 is young in comparison to you know 60 or 70, mm. but not in comparison to 25. True, true. Um, but also to you know contextualize my experience with the internet, which mm-hmm, is that mm-hmm. you know I didn't really have access to internet until after high school. You know I got my right. first email account I think when I was eighteen or nineteen, and so I didn't grow up with internet porn. Um, but yeah, you know you can't avoid it. It's I mean you really even if you wanted to you couldn't avoid it. You know if you try right. to stream or illegally download movies not that i would do such a thing you (laughs) these images pop up um 
And so kids who are online, I mean, I don't even know, I don't, I don't, I really don't think it's possible to avoid this kind of imagery. And so we've come to the point where we just conflate pornography and sex and pornography and sexuality. We just think this is what sex is. This is what sexuality is. And we're not offered alternatives. And then beyond that, to be told that this is sexually liberating and potentially empowering Mm -hmm. is just you know, so harmful, I think, to women and women's self-esteem. I mean, we already learn that our self-worth is based almost wholly in our appearance and our ability to attract men and to appear sexy and, you know, to, to, to be objectified by the male gaze is a supposedly good feeling and a good thing. And, and that kind of attention can feel good temporarily. Like, I get that but it's not a healthy form of self-esteem and it's not healthy or good for women to believe that their primary value and and worth is based on their, um, I don't want to swear on your show, but their, (laughs) I just stopped myself. Thank you. A big swear. (laughs) So it's hard for me, but, um, you know, their, their ability to, you know, for men to desire that. Sure, sure, sure. No, that's a good point. Well, uh, that's going to have to be the show. We're going to have to do another show another time. Always welcome on Interchange, Megan Murphy. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, We'll close tonight with Androgynous by The Replacements. Uh, Again, thanks to Megan Murphy for being with us today via Skype from Vancouver. Again, uh, Megan Murphy is the founder and editor of The Feminist Current. Next week, I'll be joined by Jennifer Brooks to co-host our Spring Fun Drive special. We'll hear clips from our shows which highlighted women and women's issues, and I'm proud to say we've got plenty to choose from. We need you to express your love for Interchange next week. Become a sustaining member of the great community resource that is WS. FHB and help Interchange continue to dive below the surface of your media expectations. Next Tuesday, supporting women, supporting Interchange on WFHB. Thanks for listening. I'm Doug Storm. I produce Interchange. Assistant producer is Rob Schoon. Tonight's studio engineer is Wes Martin, who you all know is our executive producer. Stay tuned for the Jazz Menagerie coming up next on your community radio station, WFHB. Don't get him wrong. Don't get him mad He might be a father But he's sure in a dad She don't need Advice in a center She's happy with the way she looks She's happy with her gender And they love each other so Androgynous Closer than you know Love each other so Androgynous 